0: true isn't it this time next week uh, it'll be all over this morning we're concluding the, the, the three part uh, mini series if you like uh, when heaven came down to earth uh, we're concluding this three part series we look first of all at the divine perspective of Christmas uh, if you remember we, we, we remind ourselves we all know what happened on earth with the birth of Jesus but what was happening in heaven when he was being born Now, if you missed that message, you can still get it on the church's uh, website or podcast. What was happening in heaven when Jesus was being born? Interesting. Scripture does actually tell us what was going on when the Father and the uh, Son and the Holy Spirit conspired, if you like, uh, for a remedy to man's sin, and the Son was sent from heaven to earth, and all that that meant, the divine perspective. And then last week uh, we looked at the divine purpose, okay, we can see what was going on in heaven and the son came, but but why did he come? What was the purpose? And if you remember, we we, we realized that it was the kindness of God, the scriptures tell us that, it was the kindness of God that sent the son to the earth, Uh, that was the reason that he was born. And today we're going to look at what I'm calling the divine postlude, uh, the aftermath, if you like, uh, concerning the birth of Christ, we'll we'll take a specific look in a moment at how the shepherds in particular reacted after the baby was born uh, to their knowledge uh, of that and and, and the fact that the Messiah had been born. Well, by this time next week, as I've said, the tree might still be up, but it's going to look pretty empty underneath, isn't it? Uh, All that'll be left of the turkey is a bare skeleton probably, maybe making soup. Visiting families and friends will have left to go back to their homes. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) And the excitement of Christmas that has taken weeks and weeks and weeks to build to a crescendo will all too soon be over. Then what? Then what? What do we do in the postlude to Christmas? Life will get back to normal whatever that is but you know at this time of year it's not uncommon for many people to suffer from the post-Christmas blues a kind of depression after all the hoopla of Christmas. In fact there's a medically recognition condition called seasonal affective disorder and you'll see the letters there spell sad. That time of year is a type of depression that's related uh, to the changes in the seasons and the with symptoms typically starting in the late autumn continuing into the winter months saps your energy and makes you feel moody and, and so on and a lot of people suffer from that this time of year actually I was hearing on the radio coming down this morning that today is the is winter solstice supposedly the, the, the shortest day of daylight and the longest night uh, time is today and from now on it will start to switch over and we'll be getting back into longer days and maybe shorter nights. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, because I want, I want this morning to encourage you uh, to capture the aftermath, the afterglow, the, the, the postlude, uh, the, the ongoing joy and, and, uh, and so on of Christmas that continues after we've celebrated it. So we're going to uh, read Luke chapter 2 beginning in the first verse, familiar words. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, "'Don't be afraid,' I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. To you, he is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And we know that God will take his word this morning, uh, his written word that we've just read, and as it becomes a spoken word this morning to all of us, uh, we just pray that God by his Holy Spirit will transform that into a living word that will impact us this morning as we look at at this uh, afresh this morning, Well, for you and me today, uh, 2019 years on from the actual historic event, Bethlehem, you know, is not just a geographical, physical location for us, a Palestinian town as it is today uh, of Jerusalem and the West Bank of Israel. For every professing Christian today, Bethlehem is meant to be a, a spiritual reality in the heart of every human being. And if we don't grasp what it meant to the shepherds to go to Bethlehem and what it means for us today uh, to experience the child lying in the manger of our lives, then the good news of great joy announced by the angel is just information. That's all it is, just information. And what we need is meaning. And we need to make meaning of this child lying in the manger and allow him to give meaning to our lives. Not just at this Advent season and Christmas time, but each and every day afterwards and ongoing. The ongoing celebration of Christmas asks us to move from the fact of Jesus' birth. It actually did happen to the real meaning of his birth and how we're to celebrate it every day of our lives. You've probably heard the Christmas story uh, every year since you were a toddler. And you can add up the years, and uh, they'll add up to a lot. So I'm sure that most of you here this morning could retell retell it, you know, ad infinitum. You know the story so well. But sometimes we hear the same thing so often, we sort of get get calluses in, in our heart. And in today's materialistic and commercial and consumer culture, our eyes can be distracted and our ears can be deafened to the real truth of the everyday meaning of Christmas. There was a wealthy family that decided to have their newborn baby dedicated in their enormous mansion. And so dozens of guests were invited uh, to the elaborate occasion that had been arranged and they all arrived dressed to the nines and, and after depositing their coats and their wraps and their, and their furs on a, on a bed in an upstairs room the guests were entertained royally and soon the time came for the main purpose of the gathering the, the infant's dedication ceremony but no one seemed to know where the baby was everyone searched frantically for the baby until someone recalled having seen the baby asleep on one of the beds and they finally found the little child buried beneath a pile of coats and anoraks and jackets and furs You see, the object of that day's celebration had been forgotten, neglected, even smothered. And and this postlude, this afterglow of the birth of Jesus has to have meaning for us, or it will easily become hidden beneath the piles of secular traditions and cultural observances of the season. And so when it comes to the Christmas story, as C.S. Lewis once observed, we don't need to be told new ideas So much as we need to be reminded of old truths. And so it was for those first shepherds that an angel had announced the good news of great joy that a child has been born who is to be the saviour of the world. Great news. But what comes after the birth announcement? What should they do? And there's only one thing for them to do. To go and see the baby. We've all received a phone call or a text or a, uh, an email maybe telling us that an expected baby has been born. I got a phone call like that uh, this week. My niece uh, had a baby and my, my brother, uh, her father, phoned me to tell me the good news. And what do we do when, we, when that happens, when we get the, the news? As often as not, especially if you're close to the family, you'll want to get in touch to offer congratulations And see how the mother and the baby are doing. See it's one thing to hear about the birth. It's another to go and see the miracle that has happened. The miracle of new life. And to take it in. And so the shepherds said to one another. Verse 15. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. It's interesting that they should call it this thing. This thing that has happened. Which the Lord has told us about. They even recognised that this was from God. Good news of great joy always demands a response. But in our excitement about the occasion, we can often forget its meaning. And As we read about the shepherds again, I, I, I remembered how, you know, as, as, as kids, some of us, as teenagers especially, maybe had our own version of uh, uh, the familiar carols about the shepherds and what they did in that first Christmas night. While shepherds washed their socks by night, we used to say, and hung them on the line, the angel of the Lord came down and said, those socks are mine. We used to actually say that to one another. Or there was another version. While shepherds washed their socks by night, all seated around the tub, the angel of the Lord came down and gave them all a rub uh, or a scrub. And we had our own version. Well, actually, before we, 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 we look at how the shepherds responded to what they called this thing, I want to remind you of, of, uh, of Hebrews chapter 10 and, and verse 5. And we, we looked at it a, a, a week or so ago where it really tells us what was happening in heaven. It says in Hebrews chapter therefore when Christ came into the world, when he was coming into the world it says he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased then I said, here I am it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will O God. Christ on that first Christmas Eve said goodbye to his father and began the journey to do God's will that was to end 33 years later on earth on a cross and then a glorious resurrection of course and he would finally be glorified and exalted and restored back to heaven to the glory that he knew before he came. The body of Jesus Christ was divinely prepared by God to be the instrument, the means which was to bring God to men and men to God. By being the perfect sacrifice for sin. And so with all the fanfare of heaven. As angels waited to sing. And to shout their praise. The Holy Spirit had taken nine months. To accomplish his work. And in those nine months. He 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 had been fashioned in the womb of Mary. He fashioned in the womb of Mary. A baby. A body like no other. A body that was to be inhabited by the second person of the Trinity. The Son of God. A body that had now become ready. And as Paul said in Galatians 4. When the time had fully come. God sent his son born of a woman. Born under the law. To redeem those under the law. That we might receive the full rights of sons. See the real issue is not that he came. The real issue is why he came. And so many people seem to be content to stop with just the fact that he came. As if there was some kind of redeeming fact in that. Why did he come? To present God to us? Yes. To teach us the truth? Yes. To fulfill the law? Yes. To announce the kingdom among men? Yes. To reveal perfect love? Yes. And yet these are all secondary, secondary reasons about why he came. You know on that first Christmas while earth was largely oblivious to all that was happening. Heaven wasn't. Jesus was born to fulfill a purpose. His life, his teaching, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension were purposeful in that, as we read, he could offer for all time one sacrifice for sin so that you and I could be redeemed and have eternal life. And there was really one primary reason, one primary plan, one primary purpose. Bethlehem only happened so Calvary could happen. God in Christ was born as one of us so that each of us might be born again into the family of God. And so it is that our text in Luke chapter 2 tells us both why and how we ought to celebrate Christmas. Especially when it's eventually over and we get back to the everyday. Well the first and most obvious way to celebrate Christmas in an ongoing way is by affirming our faith in a saviour. Or if you're not already a Christian, then Christmas is surely a good time for you to become one. After all, that's why Jesus came. And until you can call him my Savior, as his mother Mary did, you'll never fully understand what Christmas is all about. Many of our carols speak to this. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now you need not fear the grave. Jesus Christ was born to save. Calls you one and calls you all to gain his everlasting call. Christ was born to save. Yes, Christ was born to save. Let me say that if you're here this morning and uh, you're celebrating Christmas without the assurance that Christ is your Savior, you've missed the whole point of the celebration But you can make that right even even now, even in this moment while I'm speaking to you. If you're willing to humbly come into agreement with these three uh, propositions and say, I'm a sinner, as a sinner I need a saviour, and Jesus Christ is the saviour I need. And if you agree with those three statements and you're willing to trust Christ with all your heart as your saviour and your Lord And from this moment, you're willing to learn and grow in his will. You can be saved right now in this moment. It's as simple as believing by faith that God, all that God has said about his son. So don't just celebrate the holiday, celebrate the Savior. And today in simple faith, you can pray, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm sinful. I acknowledge the wrong that I've done. Today, I need a Savior and I turn to you and acknowledge you as that saviour. I place my life and my hopes, my confidence in you. Lord, take this broken person that I am and restore me, make me new and lead me from now on with your help to follow in your ways. And in case you missed it from familiarity, let me remind you that the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. A saviour has been born to you, this is a sign for you. You will find the baby. You know, Sometimes we focus on the fact, that, uh, another truth of course, that, that, and we sang about it just now, that God so loved the world, the whole world, yes. But we forget that the angel's message to the shepherds was that Jesus is your saviour, your king, your Christ, your gift straight from God. He came just for you and just for me. And that's where Christmas should begin for all of us. But what about when it's all over? Well, our text this morning describes four responses that I'd like to quickly just run through of those who first heard the news that Jesus Christ, the Savior, had been born. And these four responses together tell us how to celebrate Christmas, not just in December, but all the year long. First of all, Luke 2 and 17 says, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. The interesting thing about about the shepherds is what they did when their journey to the manger was over. Their first response was to proclaim what they had experienced. Luke tells us that they spread the word. They did what all Christians should do. They told others what they had seen and heard. They spread the word about Jesus. And when you get down to it, isn't that all that evangelism really is? It's joining with God in the unstoppable spread of the gospel by telling the good news of great joy about Jesus to somebody else. We don't proclaim Christ by keeping him to ourselves, but by making him known to the whole world, our world. And what the shepherds did, we all can do. And this post-Christmas period, as it unfolds into a new year, I hope that you will come with the conviction that reaching out to people with this good news of great joy is what we're called to do. It's what we're obligated to do if we say we've experienced Christ for ourselves. Indeed, a, a simple friendly hello may be all it takes to begin that journey that will transform somebody's life and their eternity. Because it has more to do with taking a genuine interest in another person, listening to their story, and just being a pointer towards Christ than it does with learning any evangelism tactics or techniques. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with with learning more about how to do some things. But boil down anyone's journey to faith and it typically began when someone reached out a hand of friendship, spoke a kind word to them, asked a good question and the rest is history. I came to faith when I was given a simple invitation by my girlfriend at the time who became my wife uh, to go with her to an after church meeting it was just a simple invitation but that night I was saved and transformed and my it would take me forever to tell you all that God has done in those intervening years since the 12th of July 1971 when I was saved and so it just takes a simple, a simple uh, uh, conversation with people to tell them your own story and the story of God and proclaiming is something that we all can do. You don't need authority, you don't need permission, you don't need special training to witness for Christ. Simply be who God created you to be, and talk about Jesus and, and tell what you know to be true. Good news is for sharing, isn't it? So share your story. That's what the shepherds did, and that's what all of us are called to do. A guy called Luigi Tessario, was Italian. He was found dead one morning with very little worldly comforts in his humble home, except for a collection of 246 rare violins, which he had been collecting all his life. In fact, the best of the collection was a Stradivarius. It was discovered in the bottom drawer of an old rickety bureau. You see, in his devotion to the violin as an instrument, he had robbed the world of the beautiful music of Stra- that a Stradivarius violin could render. And in fact, it went from collector to collector, and that which had been created to make beautiful melodies had been musically speechless for many, many years. And yet, how many of God's people are like Luigi tesserio In your love for the church we can be guilty of failing to spread the word of the good news of great joy to the world around us. And in our zeal for truth, we are often prone to forget to make the greatest truth of all known. It's even been sometimes said of Christians that they're like the rivers that flow into the Arctic. They're frozen at the mouth. Well, next, as well as proclaiming, we see that another post-Christmas response to the birth of Jesus was one of amazement. As the shepherds proclaimed or witnessed to what they had experienced, verse 18 says, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has said that the ultimate test of our spirituality is our amazement at the grace of God. But it's important to understand that there's two Two kinds of amazement. You know, if I was to tell you that I believe that Tottenham Hotspur were going to win the premiership this season, uh, that would provoke amazed laughter, to say the least. First of all, you'd be amazed at my naivety. Um, But if it actually did happen, you would be absolutely amazed, and so would I. (laughs) Not because something supernatural had happened, but because teams occasionally do get lucky and teams above them can have their share of bad results. And this type of amazement has to do with a a temporary fascination over an unusual turn of events. But then there's a second kind of amazement. And I would call it a kind of a holy wonder or amazement that comes from seeing God at work in the world. Go all the way back to Genesis, we discover that God created the entire universe out of nothing. Are you amazed at that? I am. He spoke all the stars into place. He spoke and the earth took up its orbit. He spoke and the animals and the fish and every creature began to kind of scurry around. He, he takes a lump of, of dirt and he makes a man and then he takes a rib and he makes a woman. God simply speaks and it happens and that should cause us to regard him with holy wonder. And of course, when he transforms our heart, From being sinful to moving towards being holy. What another, utter amazing thing that is that God is able to do that. In the deepest sense, all the acts of God are reason for holy wonder, uh, since everything He does has the stamp of the divine on it. And, And the wonders of God will continue to the very end of time. Revelation 19 and 16 tells us that when Christ returns in His second advent, He will have written on His robe and on His thigh, King of Kings and Lord of lords, and he will establish his kingdom, and all earthly kings will have to bow before him. In fact, Isaiah fifty-two fifteen says, And kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. And the contemporary English version of that same verse translates this, Kings will be silent as they bow in wonder. They will see and think about things they have not seen or thought about before. In fact, this brings us back to Luke chapter 2, verse 18. For when Christ came the first time, the kings from the east came and brought gifts to the newborn king of the Jews. Gold because he was a king. Frankincense because he was a priest. Myrrh because he was born to die for the sins of the world. Those kings bowed in wonder then. But in the days to come, all the kings of the earth will bow before the majestic presence of, of the king of kings and they will be silent before the victorious son of god and christmas itself is a cause isn't it of holy wonder how can it be that god that god would deign to become a man how can a king be born in a feeding trough what sort of god comes into the world like this how can we retain that sense of holy wonder Well, perhaps the old gospel singer George Beverly Shea said it best in his song. There's a wonder of sunset at evening. The wonder of sunrise I see. But the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all. Oh, the wonder of it all. Just to think that God loves me. How many of you know that chorus? The wonder of it all. We're going to sing it, so join me. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to know that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all, oh, the wonder of it all, just to know that God loves me. I'm amazed. I'm just amazed that God would love me. I hope you're amazed that God loves you as well. So how can we celebrate Christmas every day? We can do it by proclaiming, that is spreading the word, witnessing. We We can do it by wondering, retaining our sense of holy wonder about God and his ways. And thirdly, we can do it by pondering. As Mary did in verse 19 it says but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The word ponder is an old word um, but pondering goes deeper than wondering. It, It means to take the circumstances of our life and then to go beneath the surface to try and understand what it all means and why something has happened the way it did. No doubt that as Mary pondered she would have thought back to what happened to Zacharias and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist. I'm sure she thought about what Gabriel said and how Joseph responded when she told him she was pregnant. And then the amazing dream Joseph had. She must have recalled the long and arduous journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. All the events of the birth itself, including the surprise visit of these shepherds. She certainly had plenty to think or to ponder about. And no doubt she continued to wonder why God had chosen her and I'm sure that she pondered about what was ahead of her newborn son that's, that's forever enshrined in that beautiful song, Mary, Did You Know? Pondering, reflecting, meditating. It's hard work, actually, and it takes time, which is why many of us perhaps never get around to it. We're so busy, especially this time of year. And yet this is the perfect time of year to do just that, What better time than the end of the year and ongoing to ponder what God has been teaching you, to look back over the last 12 months as we approach the threshold of another year in God's will, to take some time to ponder and consider the ways and works of God in our life and, and in the world around us. Ask God to show you what he's been teaching you As you've encountered the circumstances of your life in 2019, ponder them. What lessons may have come up again and again? What have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about God and his character? And as you ponder these things, ask God for insight as to where he might be leading you in the year to come. And make this the basis of some personal prayer requests as you enter 2020. And I believe if you commit to pondering these sort of things with an open heart, God will meet you right where you are and he will show you fresh glimpses and will give you both insight into the past and hope for the future. So Mary pondered what God had been doing in her life and that's a helpful practice for us to follow in the days to come. Proclaiming, wondering, pondering and fourthly, again taking our lead from the shepherds In their aftermath, their postlude to visiting the child in the manger, we should continue to glorify God through the daily activities of our lives. Verse twenty the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which they just had been told. The shepherds were profoundly changed by what they had experienced. What what a difference a day makes. Because on the day before Christ was born, they were in the fields tending to their sheep. And on the day after he was born, they were back in the fields again. Only this time, their hearts were filled with glory and praise to God. You know, the original meaning of the word glorify is to estimate the true worth of something, the value of something. And in a spiritual sense, it means to worship To say that the shepherds glorified God means that having seen Jesus there in the manger, they were overwhelmed by God's grace and by his kindness and the amazing miracle of the incarnation as announced by the angel and the angel chorus. They simply couldn't stop talking about what they had seen and heard. And and, and note, where, where did they do that? The text doesn't say that they glorified God in the temple, although that would have been a good place to do that. No, they returned to where they had been. Back to the the tiring, unappreciative work of caring and looking after their sheep. And having seen the Christ child, it was time to go back to work. And as they did, glorifying God, so must we after Christmas. But will we be changed by Christmas? By our personal experience of knowing Christ? Or will it be business as usual going into 2020? For the shepherds, life would never be the same again. Yes, the work was the same, but they were different. Christmas didn't change their circumstances, but it changed them deeply and profoundly. And because it changed them, it changed the way they approached their everyday work. Yes, they still had to deal with cranky sheep, and sometimes they had to step in sheep manure, but that hardly mattered, because they had encountered the Christ child And they were changed because of that. People sometimes wish they could keep the Christmas spirit uh, all year long. They speak of it as if the spirit of these days only comes once a year. But it depends on what spirit you're talking about. If you mean the tree and the gifts and the mistletoe and the chestnuts roasting on an open fire and all that. That indeed comes just once a year. But if you're talking about the spirit of Christ. The greater truth of Christmas. That God has come. That God has lived amongst us. Sent a spirit to dwell within the hearts of those who will receive him. Then in the words of of, of a beautiful song. by by, By a girl called Evie. Many years ago she sang this. Christmas can be every day for you. If the love this child imparts. Can be held within your hearts. Then Christmas can be every day for you. I invite the worship team to come back to help us with our last song. You know, at the end of Charles Dickens' novel, A Christmas Carol, it's very popular at this time of year, that movie, uh, that Christmas Carol, that transformed Ebenezer Scrooge. You remember the story? Scrooge says this, he says, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year reminding us that the spirit of the secular Christmas needs to be superseded by the sacred spirit of Jesus Christ. The spirit of Christmas is annual, but the spirit of Christ is eternal. The spirit of Christmas is sentimental, but the spirit of Christ is supernatural. The spirit of Christmas is a human product. The spirit of Christ is a divine person. So, in a few short days... Christmas will be over. Then what? Let's follow the inspired outline uh, in Luke chapter 2 from the story of the shepherds. Let's be proclaiming and spreading the good news of Christ. Let's be wondering at God's amazing ways and love for you and I. Let's ponder the works of a faithful God as we go through each and every day. And let's glorify God as we live our lives in the world wherever God has placed us. Let's pray together.